Well, if you weren't here last week, my name is Lloyd Grimm. I am one of the elders here at Coast, and um, I had the privilege of being here last week and again today to share with you. Um, if you were here last week, it was a special time uh, to be together uh, to pray for some dear loved ones here at Coast Bible Church. Um, and my goal last week was to honor God through the testimony of David Bennett, Kevin Akrami, and Ryan Gates, um, and, and to spend some time in prayer with them. So before I start this morning, I just wanted to give you um, kind of just a quick update. How many of you follow Caring Bridge? Good. So I believe with David, they moved him to um, Kaiser ICU um, late last night. And um, he was stable enough to go. Um, and we're just continuing to pray, pray for David um, and, and the family, um, for him to wake up, for the brain swelling to go down, um, for them to put, um, I think, the feeding tube in. Um, and so let's, let's continue to constantly be praying for David. Uh, Kevin Akrami is still in the hospital, and uh, he's, he's not doing well. Um, he is just really, really weak. Um, his blood numbers aren't good. I, I heard he had pneumonia. He's over that now, but still going on a month in the hospital. And um, so just keep Kevin in your prayers. Hannah Gates texted me this morning. Um, and I have a picture of Ryan. This is from last week when we, we, we phone called him. And so this is how he spent the week. Um, and when I, we, we called him last week, he was watching live stream on, from the computer face down and, and calling him. And uh, Hannah says, quick update, a ton has changed since last week. Ryan's retinal reattachment sur- surgery was last Friday, so we're over a week. He's feeling much better. He has more energy and is allowed to keep his head up, which is exciting. Um, but he timed out of his academy last week, which means... He's missed so many hours by California law that he's um, been forced to drop. Um, however, Fish and Game collected a donated leave time so that during the time he's out, he was still getting paid and still able to have health insurance. Uh, Fish and Wildlife's trying to find him a job within the department, so that's something we can pray for him. Um, and they have two appointments this coming week, um, so they're just praying they don't get bad news. Um, at the last appointment, they weren't able to see into the eye at all or see if the surgery was successful. So just keep praying um, that his eyesight will be restored and that he can still have employment within fish and wildlife. So well, I told Tom that I would continue a series this morning. And so we're in an I Dare You series. And this morning we're going to take a look at the life of Hannah and kind of give a profile of her spiritual courage. Um, Tom gave me his notes, so I will try to do him justice. And if I don't, I apologize, Tom, if you're watching. If this is a terrible sermon, then you can just blame him and his notes. If you like it, then you can just thank me for my notes. Just kidding. It's funny, a year and a half ago at Stony Brook, um, every Tuesday, Thursday, we have staff devotions. And we go through a book of the Bible. And last year, 2019-2020, we went through the book of 1 Samuel. And 2 Samuel is a staff. 
And I remember doing the first devotion. It just happened to be on 1 Samuel chapter 1. I was like, wait, I remember this story. So I went back to dig out my old notes and kind of merged them with, with Tom's notes. And there's so much we can take out of this story of Hannah. Um, I'm going to try to pull out a few nuggets of truth for us this morning. Hopefully that will be an encouragement to us um, in this time. But just as last week we talked about how God changes lives. He changed the life of David. He changed the life of Kevin. He changed the life of Ryan. Um, he changed the life of Hannah. So before we get started, how many of you out there are familiar with the story of Hannah in the Old Testament? How many of you are kind of like, eh, it's been a long time? All right. I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1. I'm going to kind of narrate this story as we, as we go through it and stop and talk about each time, and then I'll try to th- pull it all together at the end. But basically, if I start rambling, um, by the end of this, I really want to highlight and contrast Hannah's two prayers. Her first prayer is going to be out of desperation and despair and sorrow and grief with what she's going through in her life. And the second prayer in chapter 2 is going to be a prayer of exaltation and confidence and just praise to our Lord. And so, and it's going to all hinge on verse 17, which we'll see, about, we'll see in a few minutes. All right, you guys ready? Here we go, a little background, first three verses. Now there was a certain man of Ramathium, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Panina, Panina, Panina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. So the stage is set for this story. All the characters in this, in this Bible story are here in the first three verses. So let me put it... Um, Give you a little insight of what's going on here. First, Shiloh. I don't know if you can see that map up there, but as I was doing my little research for the story, I thought kind of the capital of Israel where the temple would have been was Jerusalem, but it's not there yet. Kind of the the spiritual hub of Israel is in this city called Shiloh. And from where Elkanah, the husband in the story, lived in Ramah, it was about a 14-mile walk. Um, Tom wrote, Shiloh is um, where they went to give yearly sacrifices. Before the capital and temple would move to Jerusalem, Shiloh is the functioning center of Israel's worship. Elkanah goes once a year to celebrate and thank God for provision and to show God commitment and love through worship. It's also a time to ask God for special favors, which is what Hannah is going to do. And you'll remember that worship and offer sacrifices mean to ha- means to have a huge barbecue with a family, as we'll see in a minute. Um, this is another indicator of Elkanah's wealth because it isn't cheap to do this. So Elkanah travels with his two wives. 
Yes, Elkanah has two wives. This isn't the first time we've seen polygamy in the Bible. Um, But Hannah is most likely his first wife, and she has no children. And Penina um, is his second wife, and she does have children. Tom wrote... that Elkanah had two wives. And it's interesting, God never actually forbids polygamy in the Old Testament. At least we don't see it, but it becomes pretty clear that it's a bad idea. Um, In this case, Elkanah is a wealthy man. And because Hannah was barren, it was custom in the ancient um, Near East for wealthy people to take a second or third wife and to produce an offspring because in their culture, it's your sons and daughters that did all all the work. Um, and so the Bible shows us a lot of examples of polygamous marriages going ter- terribly wrong, and this story is going to be one of them. So Elkanah is the husband. Um, we have Penina in the story. Penina is the second wife. Just to put it bluntly, she's going to turn out to be a jerk. Okay? Um, I don't know any other word um, to say it. We have the Lord of hosts is a reference to God in this passage. Elkanah has taken his family yearly to Shiloh to worship the Lord of hosts. And this word for Lord of hosts is the first time um, in Scripture that this name for God is actually used. And Lord of hosts really means, or it's translated, the God of angel armies. Um, and if you remember in Second Kings where Elisha, the story where God opens his eyes and he sees the, the angel armies literally right there. Um, that's the picture that we had. So the God of angel armies is who Hannah is going to be worshiping in the family. And then in this story, we have Eli, who is the priest, and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Hophni means tadpole, and Phinehas means um, black one. And as we're going to see, um, actually we're not, but I'm just going to tell you that Eli's sons were corrupt and wicked and evil. In fact, um, I'm going to give you the spoiler now. Hannah has a baby. His name's Samuel. And she's going to dedicate him to the Lord. And he's going to be raised in the temple under Eli's um, instruction. And he's going to grow. And Samuel's first prophecy from the Lord is guess what? It's a prophecy against the family of Eli uh, because of just their. their wickedness and they're corrupt and defiling the temple um, so those are the characters in this story and then we have Hannah Hannah's name means graciousness and as we're going to see in a second um, through Hannah's struggles everybody else you know um, is just kind of there and I think her family just kind of represents the culture of Israel at that time they were just kind of there. They're kind of in between judges. Samuel will be the last judge and prophet before King Saul and David, and he'll be the one to anoint them. Um, Israel is just kind of, in my word, blah. There's been no word from the Lord. Um, there's corruption going on and complacency. And then we have the story of Hannah. Hannah. So they take this trek 
about 14 miles from Ramah to Shiloh. And there's a little cartoon picture of Elkanah and his two donkeys with his two wives. Hannah has no kids, and Penina does. And they make it to Shiloh for this feast. And then we get to verses 4 through 8. And it says, Whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Tom's preached many times, these feasts are big barbecues. This is a big family feast. And the first thing I want to point out to you is, um, well, a couple of things. Um, Elkanah was, I believe, a good husband. I really think he loved Hannah, um, but I don't think he got it. Um, I don't think he understood Hannah's dilemma. I don't think he supported her the way he was supposed to. And one of these ways we see it is in verse 5, but to Hannah he would give a double portion because he loved her, and he thought that was the right thing to do. Um, I want to share a quick story, a little sidebar of maybe an appropriate time to give a double portion. Many of you know I was in the Marine Corps, and I have a picture of me from way back in Desert Storm days, and I would just want you to notice how skinny I was. I was 118 pounds soaking wet. I'm skinny now, but I was bones back in the early 90s. When I was in boot camp, I was on what was called double rations. I got double portions, and it was awesome. All the fat people in boot camp were on half portions. And so guess who I was friends with? All the fat guys sat at my table because I could never eat all the double portions, except for the desserts. That's an appropriate time to get double rations. They were trying to beef me up. It didn't quite work. Hannah, you know, I don't know if that was quite the right thing, you know, for Elkanah to give. I just want to read you Tom's notes on this. A double portion, Elkanah means well, but he wasn't super bright. By giving double meat to Hannah, he is A, giving her something she probably doesn't want, B, stirs up unnecessary jealousy between Hannah and Penina, which we'll see in a second. Uh, reminds Hannah that she doesn't have children. And that every person is supposed to get just one portion of beef at these feasts. When Hannah gets two, it's a visible reminder that she doesn't have a child to eat the second portion. And then at the end in verse 8, we also see um, Elkanah noticing that Hannah's weeping. And he says, why do you weep? Am I not better to you than ten sons? I asked Monica yesterday, (laughs) 
you know, I might not be the best husband, but I hope I'm better than Elkanah. You know, has there ever been a time when you've been hurting or, you know, in anguish or going through something that I just didn't quite understand you and she couldn't think of one, so thank you. (laughs) But she also says, what did you say? Like, you forgive and forget easily. (laughs) So there probably are many times. She says she doesn't remember. Yeah, she may not be telling the truth. (laughs) Husbands, you know, one of the little side lessons is, you know, know your spouse. (laughs) And if if they're going through things, um, just don't offer them more food. Um, Or or just say, hey, am I not better than you than ten sons? I'm all you need, babe. Um, Doesn't quite get it. But I truly believe he was a godly man and, you know, loved his wife, but just didn't get it. And then I want to spend a few minutes just talking about Penina. She provoked Hannah year after year after year to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. I don't know if Elkanah really understood what was going on. Um... Most bullies don't do it in public. But Penina made Hannah's life miserable. And I'll just read you what Tom wrote in his notes. He said her rival would make fun of her mercilessly to, just to torment her. He said the Hebrew is about as emphatic as you can get here. Penina is ruthless. In fact, just to torment her is literally to make thunder. Penina hates Hannah and wants to make her stormy through mockery. Notice that this happens primarily at the feast. This is because Penina knows that every year Hannah begs God for a child and God says no. Penina is not just mocking Hannah's desire to have a child, but she's making fun of her continuing to ask and trust God for this request. Penina's mocking Hannah's faith. And it happens year after year after year. I don't know if you've ever been the victim of verbal abuse or bullying. I've been a principal for 25 years. Well, not a principal. I've been at Stony Brook for 25 years, a principal for 15. And every year, um, there seems to be issues. You know, I always say good kids can do mean things. But every now and then, um, you get someone that just goes out of their way to make someone else's life miserable, um, to target somebody. And and this is what Penina is doing with Hannah. And I just want to pause it. If you ever have been the victim, you know, it's interesting Hannah's response here is she just seems to take it year after year after year. Um, she lives up to her name of gracefulness. She just holds it in. Um, I don't know if that's always a healthy thing to do, is to hold it in, hold it in, hold it in, because eventually you can't hold it in anymore. And you're going to explode. Um, I've seen it with kids at school. I've seen it with kids that they can't eat. It just tears their stomach in knots because they've been a victim. And that's what we see here with Hannah. They're at the feast, and she can't eat. So what does she do? She goes to the Lord. Well, no one else would get her. Her husband doesn't get her. Her family doesn't get her. She's alone. 
She's in bitterness of soul and anguish. She's had enough. So in verse 9, we read this. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me. And not forget your maidservant. But will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give to him, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, Lady, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. Year after year after year, it builds and builds and builds. And finally, she goes to the tabernacle outside its gates and just cries out to the Lord in anguish. This is her first prayer. She's in bitterness of soul, and she cries out and makes a vow to the Lord. God, if you'll just do this for me, I promise. How many of you have been in a situation where you've cried out to God and said, God, if you just do this for me, I promise. This is what Hannah does. I want you to notice Eli's response. I don't think, she didn't go to the, the temple to pray to Eli. Eli's just there. I think he overhears what's going on. He's just there observing. He doesn't actually hear. He just sees her lips and he thinks she's drunk. So I just want to pause in the story and share with you one of my favorite cartoons in Calvin and Hobbes. I'm just going to let you read that and let it soak in for a second. Calvin, you know, Lucy used to sell psychiatric, right, for five cents. Calvin is selling a swift kick in the butt for a dollar. And Calvin comes up, or Hobbes comes up, hey, how's business? Terrible. That's hard to believe. I can't believe it. Everybody, everybody I know needs what I'm selling. You guys ever been in a situation where it seems like everybody you know just needs a good kick in the butt? I'm telling you, everybody in this story needs a good kick in the butt. But Hannah doesn't do that. Penina definitely needed a kick in the butt. Elkanah needed a kick in the butt. Eli needs a kick in the butt. Here he is, the priest after all. He's the person you're supposed to be able to go to and open up and share and to be the one there to understand and get it. But his response is that she's drunk from too much partying at the feast and to put the wine aside. If this was a modern story and... Hannah did not have biblical courage. This might be something you might see on a Jerry Springer episode. Elkanah and his two wives throwing chairs at each other, going at it. But that's not what happens. She doesn't give everybody a kick in the butt. What an amazing story of faith and courage. So here's what she does do. Instead, in verse 15. 
But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I'm, not, I, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I've poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. And here's the linchpin of the whole story. I'm not even sure Eli knows it. But he tells her, Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your, your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. She pours out her soul to the Lord. She's had enough. She made a vow. And Eli says, go in peace. And may God grant your request. It's interesting, later, when Hannah brings Samuel back to Eli in a few years, um, he doesn't even remember who she was. But Hannah knew. What changed? This is her whole countenance changed. She left. She was sad no longer. I believe Hannah got her all out. <laughs> she laid it before the Lord and she believed. She could trust God. And when she left, she left. In peace. What does Tom say every week at the end of the service? Go in peace. Go in peace. Irregardless of her circumstances, something changed. I don't think Penina stopped being a jerk to her. I don't think her husband ever really understood her, even after this prayer. I think life went on. Eli didn't remember her three years later when she brought Samuel to the temple. But something changed. She left in peace. She's able to rise above her circumstances and trust in God. I'm going to fast forward a little bit. The rest of the chapter, I don't have it up here. But guess what? Hannah goes home, she has a baby. And they name him Samuel. And she weans him for about three years. And the very next time she goes to the temple was when she brings Samuel. And she presents him to Eli. And she's going to give up her son, the first boarding school. She's going to give Samuel up to live at the temple um, and to be under Eli's teaching, even with wicked sons. That he has. And she prays this prayer in chapter 2 that is pretty remarkable. It says this And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted, or my strength is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies, Penina, because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor there is any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. To uh, let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge. And by him, 
actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren have borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of the saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces from heaven. He will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his kingdom and exalt the horn of his anointed. What a song. The whole message of this song is for another day. But do you see the contrast in her two prayers? Her first prayer three years earlier was out of despair and sorrow and anguish. And then she went home in peace. And the very next time she's at the same temple, she has this prayer of confidence, powerful, exalting God, lifting him up, declaring God's victory over the enemy, telling of God's grace to undeserving people, describing how God turns things upside down to accomplish his purposes, to describe God's sovereignty. Hannah and his, his sovereignty. Um... It's funny, as I was preparing for this message, I inherited all of my mom's books when she passed away six years ago. And she had this book, All the Women in the Bible. And I was, as I was reading the story of Hannah, guess what fell out? Some notes from my mom from a coaster's luncheon or a, a women's seminar she did years ago. And I think I have a picture of her up here. And I don't know if you can read this, but I thought this was a God thing yesterday. Because I had no idea this was in here. It's just been sitting on my, this fell out of this book. It's been sitting on my bookshelf for the last six years. But I think she did a women's retreat and talked on the story of Deborah. And if you were there, you, you may remember, I don't even know how long ago it was. But these are her handwritten notes. And she wrote, Courage is the state of mind that enables one to endure periods of danger and difficulty with confidence and determination. Courage is the state of mind that enables one to endure periods of danger and difficulty with confidence and determination. The mature Christian is courageous. And although she was writing about Deborah, I think it's true of Hannah too. And I think it's true of all of our stories. Um, once we get to a place from just letting it all out, letting God, and letting his peace transform our understanding. Any weakling can go along with the philosophy and, and conduct of peers. Only a person of strength and conviction can resist temptation and snares of life. A Christian's strength is not based on character alone. It begins with faith in a living God. 
and solidly entrenched in his word. Some cool encouragements from grandma. (laughs) We're talking about, I dare you, profiles and biblical courage. Hannah had courage. I think she realized that God's story was bigger than her story. God closed her womb for a reason, for a time and place, to give birth to Samuel who would kind of revive Israel. And although she didn't understand her circumstances at the time, she got to a point where she can trust in him and and lean on his peace that he gives. Some takeaways that I gleaned from this message are in some scriptures. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious for anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In 1 Peter 5, we read, Cast all your cares on him, because he cares for you. Psalm 62 says, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. When nobody else understood Hannah, she was able to pour it all out to the Lord of hosts because he cared for him, for her. And he cares for us too. So I dare you. Tom... One of Tom's, Tom's dares for us this week. Oh, I'm not going to find it. Something like this. I dare you to have the courage to keep your faith in God even when others laugh at you or ridicule you or mock you. That we live in a society where our faith is increasingly becoming um, just persecuted in our society and to stand strong. I dare you that no matter what you're going through in life, we've all been through trials and struggles and there's a lot of burdens in our church right now um, that are weighing heavy on us. And to be able to get to a point to just let it all out and give it to God and let us rest in His peace. And that, let that be a pivotal moment in our lives where we don't get it, we don't understand why circumstances happen, but we can trust in God that he is sovereign. Amen? All right. Well, thanks for letting me ramble. You see my guitar here. Yeah, you can laugh. I'm going to try to sing another song again um, that hopefully encapsulates this story, our story, Can I do that for you guys? Okay. I wrote all these songs, or most of my songs, back when I was in college. And there was a season of my life where I was crying out to God. And we all go through seasons in life, right? Um, 
And if you're young here today, college age, graduating, um, you know, we go through pain and suffering and hurts, and they're very real. Hannah hurt. She hurt big time, year after year after year. I was able to let it go and experience God's peace. Um, a quick story in my life, in my journey, believe it or not, I had a girlfriend before Monica. It's hard to believe, <laughs> but I did. And I thought I was going to marry this girl. And I'm so glad I didn't. But at the time, when we broke up, it hurt. It hurt. A few months before that breakup, my, my real dad died. And so there's just a lot of circumstances where there was just hurt going on. Um, and so as I sing my song, and, and you have to understand, too, my songs were my way of journaling. Okay, so this, this is my cry out to the Lord. So as I sing my cry out to the Lord, um, think about a time in your life when you've had a cry out to the Lord. Or maybe you're going through something now and you need to cry out to the Lord um, and get to a place where you can experience his peace. Also, side note, back in the 90s, I could sing this song, sort of, but today it's really high for me. Um, and so I was telling Estella earlier, I'm going to sound like Screech, probably. Um, but so ignore the sound and the screeching, just try to get the story behind, behind it.
that flows through me, oh, the joy that never ends, Jesus, comforter, I need your love right now. That flows through me, oh, the joy that fills my soul, Jesus, comforter, oh, Jesus, comfort me. We've all been there in our journey. We all have a story. That was a little piece of mine, a time in my life where I cried out to God. I didn't get it. But somehow, through faith in Christ, there's a peace. We don't understand. Hannah didn't understand. But God knows his plans for us. He knows our future. and We can hold fast, and he's got something better for us. Um, if you're here this morning and you haven't experienced that peace, transformed Hannah's life. Last week we talked about how it transformed David's life and Kevin's life and Ryan's life and my life. But there is a peace that transforms all, transcends all understanding. And that's found in Jesus Christ. If you don't know who Jesus Christ is, he's our Messiah, he's our Savior. And I encourage you, if you're watching online, and if you haven't trusted him as your Savior, you haven't experienced his peace, you cry out to him and say, God, I want that peace in my life that only you can give. And you can get it through simply believing that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And we're going to sing about that in a second as the worship team comes up. Um, Jesus is our Savior. All right, well, thanks for letting me ramble with you guys this morning. Tom did tell me he will be back next week, which is good. Um, Last night or yesterday afternoon when I called him, personally, he was doing well. And he's going to try to get back in the office this week and just get back to a sense of normality um, as as their life situation's changed. Um, So keep praying for the Bennetts, praying for the Cromies and Ryan and others. So let's close in prayer. Gracious God and Father, Lord, we just thank you for your love for us. Lord, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our peace. And Lord, this morning there's a lot of people hurting, crying out to you. And I'm not sure which side of Hannah's prayers that we're on, if if we're in despair or sorrow, but Lord, give us the peace that only you can give. In the midst of our circumstances, many times are out of our control. Help us to trust in you. Lord, we continue to lift up David and the Bennett's to you. Pray for complete healing, Lord, in his life. We thank you that um, you're in control. We lift up Kevin and Minu and the Crommie family to you, Lord. Just comfort them. And just pray for your will to be done. 
And Lord, we do pray for Ryan Gates, um, that you'll just heal his eye, restore his eyesight. We pray he'll be able to, to keep a job or get a new job within the Fish and Wildlife Department. And Lord, I pray for anybody here or watching online, if they don't know who you are, that they'll be persuaded that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and they can have life and peace through believing in his name. Just thank you for Coast Bible Church and the family that we are, Lord. Just bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen.